Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. By now you know, I'm Xavier Scruggs, also known as X. This is the last episode of season one of The Bigs. So we're bringing you something special. A conversation with the Hall of Famer. Being the good businessman that I am, X, I signed for $5,000 and a bus ticket to Walla Walla, Washington, where I started my professional career. That's Ozzie Smith, an absolute legend, and the man they call the wizard. Swing and a one-hop shot. Diving play by Ozzie. Long throw, you wouldn't believe it. He must have dived 10 feet to catch that ball. Ozzie's career spanned 19 MLB seasons most of them with the Cardinals. He made 15 All-Star games and won 13 consecutive NL Gold Gloves at shortstop. 13 straight! Ozzie also brought the 1982 World Series home to St. Louis and remains one of the most popular athletes in the city to this day. There's 45,000 plus and they're giving Ozzie a standing ovation. We'll talk about how Ozzie struggled to become known as more than just a defensive player, how the game has changed since he retired, and the challenges he faced making a name for himself. If you're a black man in America, when you walk out that door, you have to think about the things you're gonna do, the things you're gonna say. You shouldn't be that way, but it is. Grounded up the middle, Ozzie back. Oh, what a point. The Wizard. Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, thanks for joining me, Ozzy. How are you? All right, X, how you doing? I'm doing good. Ozzy Smith was born in Alabama, but his family moved to L.A. when he was around six years old. He grew up in South Central, going to Dodger games and playing multiple sports. When he was getting ready to go to college, he started doing some soul searching. I realized that baseball was really what I loved doing more than anything else. I had promised my mom that I would get my education, so... I went to Cal Poly on a partial academic scholarship. I was a walk-on to the baseball program. So for all of those kids out there that think that we're all bonus babies and it's all roses and wine, it's not. You know, for some guys, it's a totally different route to the big leagues. And that certainly was, a, was different for me because I had to prove myself. And as a guy who doesn't hit home runs, you're constantly trying to prove yourself. And I guess that's in other sports as well. You know, if you're a little guy playing basketball, you got to prove to everybody. And I, when I say everybody, I guess yourself too, that you are worthy of playing on a professional team. So 
that's something that I've always had to deal with my whole life because of size, but I did never let that deter me from my dream. My dream was to one day play professionally. I didn't know how long that would be, but I, I knew that I had to work hard to get myself to a point to where I at least got the opportunity. Ozzy learned a switch hit from a coach in college and eventually became an All-American. He rewrote a lot of the baseball record books at Cal Poly, where he actually knew my parents. They all went to school there together. Shout out to Mama and Papa Scruggs. After his junior year at Cal Poly, he was drafted in the seventh round by the Detroit Tigers. They offered him $8,500 to leave college and go pro. Ozzy wanted 10 grand. That would be life-changing money for him and his family. But the Tigers said that that didn't fit their budget. So he stayed in school. I rolled the dice. I went back to school in hopes of getting drafted again my senior year, which I did by the San Diego Padres. And I got drafted in the fourth round. And being the good businessman that I am, ex, I signed for $5,000 and a bus ticket to Walla Walla, Washington, where I started my professional career. <laughs> so, so we're not all bonus babies. The road to the big leagues is bumpy. There are a lot of ebb and flows. And it, it takes a lot of determination and perseverance and believe in oneself to make it. A year after getting drafted, Ozzy was in the majors as the Padres' opening day shortstop. He was joined in a lineup with real star power, Gene Tennis, Oscar Gamble, and another future Hall of Famer, Dave Winfield. I've always tried to take in as much as I possibly can without opening my mouth. You got two ears and one mouth, so I try and listen twice as much as I talk. So as a young player, I just tried to take it all in, watched how Dave Winfield and the guys went about their craft every day, you know, because the thing that's probably most important, if if you had to pick one word that would describe what, say, a Hall of Fame player is, the degree of consistency with which we did what we did. And I, I, I tried to do the, the very best that I could at being as consistent as I possibly could because I knew that that's what was going to keep me in the big leagues. Even during his rookie year, it was obvious that Ozzy was special. He was making plays at shortstop that people had never seen before. And he was connecting with the San Diego fans. You know, after we finished working out, we had to run two miles. And I wasn't big on long distance and all of that, you know. So when I practice, I practice hard, you know. So. I was a young guy and I was at the back of the pack. And of course, the older guys gave me a hard time about being the young guy and back of the pack. So growing up in Southern California, I lived across the street from a wood factory where they built pallets. So there was always plenty of sawdust. So I used to go over there and tumble in the sawdust. And then on Thursdays, we went to a place called the Family Fun Center where they had in-ground trampolines. And that's where I learned how to tumble. Pretty soon, he had a signature move. So after practice one day, they were giving me such a hard time to show them I wasn't tired. I ran and did my round off back handspring. They loved it. The final day of the season, Fan Appreciation Day, the team thought it would be a great idea for him to do a backflip when he took the field. I was very reluctant because back in the day, I did not want to step on the toes of the chicken, the San Diego chicken who was Mr. Entertainment. So I reluctantly did it. And people liked it so much, they asked me to do it opening day the following year. And lo and behold, a trademark was born. 
Ozzie Smith ready for the flip, and we're ready to start the season. Here we go. I love that. And I think, you know, there's so much conversation today about how players can express themselves on the field, especially Black and Latino players. Tim Anderson, he talked to me on the podcast about how he thinks of himself as an entertainer on the field, and that motivates how he shows emotion you mentioned how the backflip originated, but was that something that you thought about while you were playing? Was I'm entertaining people by the way that I go about my business? Well, I, I think it was always very serious to me that people, when they pay their money, they pay to be entertained. And I felt it was my responsibility to give them everything that I had that day. You know, for 19 years, I asked myself the question, did I do the very best that I could do today? after every game, and for 19 years, that answer was yes. Now, that didn't mean that we won every day, or I played as good as I would have liked to, but I know that on that particular day, I gave what I had. Now, you won your first two gold gloves and made your first All-Star game in San Diego, but then after your fourth season there, you were traded to St. Louis, basically because of contract disputes over money. When we talked to Colton Wong earlier in the season, he said, you know, going through free agency and, and changing teams gave him a new perspective on how much a business MLB is. Was that something similar for you? And what are your thoughts on that business side of things? Because a lot of times fans don't really get that insight. And I want them to understand that it's not all easy when it comes to contract disputes. When you're considered a good player, you know, people think it's easy, but, you know, we still have to work for everything that we get. Certainly for me, after my third year, you know, the contract situation came up and I, I tried not to get involved in that too much myself because sometimes it's hard going in and negotiating for yourself. So that's why we have agents. As a third year player, my agent was able to get me a no trade contract, which was kind of unheard of. And so when the trade came about, there was a little reluctance because the guys that I had seen who had no trade clauses in their contract got compensated for it before they were moved. And that certainly wasn't happening for me. And it didn't happen for me from the Padre standpoint. We were able to consummate the deal because of the things that Whitey Herzog had put together from a contractual standpoint that, that gave me an opportunity to make a move that that I think changed my life, getting the opportunity to come to an organization like the St. Louis Cardinals. Ozzie was traded to St. Louis for Gary Templeton, a fellow all-star shortstop and a dynamic popular player who led the league in triples three times. And anytime you get traded for a player like that, X, there's a lot of pressure, you know, and I think that there are a lot of people that were sitting around when that trade was consummated saying that it was a lopsided trade because of the talent of a Gary Templeton. And and there was certainly a lot of pressure on me to be able to go out and perform. But the one thing that I had to remember was that I was not a Gary Templeton. I had to be me. And coming to St. Louis, uh, Whitey Herzog gave me the opportunity to just be me. And I think it worked out for both parties. You know, Gary was able to go ahead and they went to the World Series one year and, and experienced that. So it turned out to be a good trade for both teams. Whitey Herzog's Cardinals would become one of the signature teams of the 1980s. Guys like Willie McGee and Lonnie Smith ran wild on the base pass and played incredible defense. Ozzie was in the middle of it all, wearing number one and doing his wizard thing at shortstop. Up the middle, 
Smith gets oh. a double play. Oh, my. In his first year there, 1982, they won the World Series. Three years later, with Vince Coleman and Jack Clark on board, the Cardinals won 101 games and faced the Dodgers in the NLCS. The series was tied 2-2. It was the ninth inning of Game 5 when Ozzie came up. And, well, I'll let Jack Buck take it from here. Smith, Clark's one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. And the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2. to two. I was notably a defensive player, but I took a lot of pride in trying to be as good an offensive player as I was a defensive player. But I think it was that moment in 1985 that people start looking at me as much more than just a defensive player. You know, sometimes that's a hard moniker to shake, you know, once you get that label of being just a defensive player. And I didn't want to be labeled as a one-dimensional player because I think it's every player's goal to be as well-rounded as you could possibly be. And that's one of the things that happened once I came to St. Louis. You know, I started getting that teaching and that guidance and that understanding of what it was that I was trying to accomplish at the plate. And Whitey Herzog and his staff gave me that opportunity. And 1985 was that year where people realized that, hey, this guy's a much better all-around baseball player than I had been given credit for. At his peak... Ozzie was a solid top-of-the-lineup hitter who was always on base and swiping 30 bags. But the defense landed him in Cooperstown. He won the NL Gold Glove every year from 1980 to 1992 at the most demanding position on the diamond. There goes Harris on a ground ball. Alisay at the second for one. The double play. What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. I think back, my dad made me sit and watch a lot of Yuri plays of games. I love all the highlights. I've seen what you can still do with the glove and all the no-look throws and, and why they call you the wizard. But talk to me about the value of the gold glove defense up the middle and how you developed that consistency. Well, you know, here, it was one of those abilities that I was born with. When I was a kid, I used to lay on the floor and throw the ball up and close my eyes, getting the feel of the ball, hitting the glove without seeing it. I had a peaked roof. You know, I used to throw the ball up on one side and run around to the other side and hopefully let it hit the gutter and hopefully give me enough time to get underneath. I never did, but it was that type of determination that made me the player that I ultimately became, you know? So I realized that being a little guy and not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, my notoriety and my ability to help my team was going to be from a defensive standpoint because that's what I was born with. Talk to me a little bit about the nickname. Obviously, fans know the Wizard of Oz, but where did it all originate for you? Did you like it? Did you did it have to grow on you? And was it difficult to live up to being the Wizard? No, it didn't. And I think that that just simply became, uh, first of all, in baseball, we always shortened our names. We don't say, hey, Osborne. They say, hey, Oz. Hey, X, you know, they don't say, hey, Xavier, Xavier, come here, Xavier. They say X, you know, so it's a game of short names and stuff. And so with the way that I played and the plays that I came up with, Wiz, the Wizard and Oz all kind of went together, you know, so uh, I don't remember exactly when that happened. 
it's just one of those things that I guess was supposed to be, X. The game is changing so fast today. And in a lot of ways, you were the prototypical player of the 1980s, a contact hitter, stealing a lot of bases, 30 to 40 bases, incredible defense up the middle. Ozzie Smith with hit number 2,000, and he stands at third with a triple. History right here for Ozzie Smith. That's what's made you a Hall of Famer, but that type of player barely exists anymore. And there's a story that your your manager, Whitey Herzog, said he'd give you a dollar for every time you hit the ball on the ground, and you had to give him a dollar every time you hit one in the air. What did you would you make? Like three hundred dollars? <laughs> yeah, I, I you know you learn very quickly. You know, and you have incentives like that. His thing was for me to try and keep the ball out of the air and utilize my team speed. We also played on AstroTurf too, you know, which made things a lot faster. And we realized too, as an organization and as a team, the only way you can put pressure on a defense is to put the ball in play. And nine times out of 10, when you build a team from an offensive standpoint, you probably have guys standing around out there saying to themselves, please don't hit it to me. And so you try, you try and find where the weak link is and, and try and put the ball in play. But we knew that it was important to be able to put the ball in play, to put pressure on a defense, because we knew that they were not as good as we were defensively. So if our pitching could hold us in and, and keep us close, we always had a chance to win. And so utilizing the overall team speed and stuff that we had and our ability to catch and throw and our ability to pitch as well, it, it afforded us the opportunity to win a lot. Definitely. And now I think about today, a lot about launch angle, elevating the ball and, you know, driving it as much as possible. And a lot of the defensive plays you made, players don't get to make too much anymore because of that shift. So the game is always going to evolve. But when you watch it today, what do you think about kind of how that game is played today? Here again, it's a very offensive oriented game. Now, you know, you talk about launch angles and all of that. We didn't worry about launch angles. And I, I think that this game is becoming too analytical because when it's all said and done, you got to catch it, you got to throw it, you got to hit, and you got to run. And I know that if I drive that runner in from third base with less than two down more consistently than the opposition, I'm going to win more games. I got to be able to drive that guy in from second base with two outs. Now, you're not going to always be able to do that with hitting the ball out of the ballpark. So what happens when the power is shut off? When the power is shut off, you still have to be able to generate offense. And so that's where those little things, getting the guy on, getting him over, get him in. That's always been baseball. I don't think that will ever change. And I think the teams that eventually win will be teams that do those little things on a consistent basis because you can't. You can't just depend on hitting the ball out of the ballpark all the time. And I think that you've seen what happens when you depend on that is you get six or seven no hitters thrown before the All-Star break. Next, I'll talk to Ozzie Smith about coming up as an African-American ball player in the 80s and 90s. That's after a quick break. We're back with the one and only Ozzy Smith. I talked to Willie McGee, who was a teammate of yours, who he mentioned how big of a help you were. And you were always somebody that people looked up to and, you know, were able to see that you took care of business on and off the field and, and somebody that led by example. There's some stuff that's kind of been going on in our game and 
I'm interested to know kind of what your experience was with this. You grew up in South Central. I think you were 10 years old in 1965 when the Watts rebellions occurred. That was a week-long uprising precipitated by an incident of police brutality as a Black man. So there are clear parallels to today, 55 years later, when we have guys like a, a Jack Flaherty who's able to use his platform and speak out on social issues what do you think when you see players like a Jack Flaherty or anybody else who are pushing for that change today? Well, you know, I, I admire people like Colin Kaepernick, who, you know, it cost him his career, actually, by standing up and using his platform to bring about awareness to a, a very serious cause that we have here in this country. You know, as a, as a Black man, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a black man in America, when you walk out that door, you have to think about the things you're going to do, the things you're going to say. You shouldn't be that way, but it is. And if you have kids, our conversation with them is totally different for our kids as opposed to other kids, you know, and how to deal with with the public out there, period. And each and every time that they have an encounter with a police officer, you know, something bad can happen. You know, I, I think for the first time when the officer was convicted of killing Mr. Floyd, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes who had no idea what we were talking about. When we said that it's different for us than it is for a Caucasian or or some of our teammates who have kids that don't have they don't have to think about or have that same conversation with them. Let me ask you this, too. Were there any issues that you specifically had to overcome being a Black player coming up in the minor leagues or even in the major leagues that you can significantly remember? Or did, did you feel like that you went through something that changed your perspective on things? Having growing up in Southern California and South Central Los Angeles, you know, you, you deal with it. I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's, what's, it's the way we lived. You know, so we understood all of the things that people were talking about, especially as far as the police are concerned. You know, I think we've all had to deal with that. And that certainly happened to me. I can remember we were moving around the corner from where we lived and the lock on the back door was was broken. So we had to go through the front door. But anyway, they sat there and they watched us and they rolled up on us as if we were criminals and had our hands behind our back. We've all had to deal with it at some point in time. And it continues today, you know, you know, 55 years later, we're still dealing with the same thing. And, you know, you were talking about Flaherty and those guys from a social media standpoint, it's, it's a lot different today than it was back then because there's so many more media outlets. So the word is getting out there a little bit better than it did back there, but it's taken 55 years for people to understand what it was that we were talking about even back then. What were some of the toughest moments, I guess, to get through as far as obstacles throughout your career? Were there any of those moments, whether it be injury, maybe maybe anything on or off the field that you really had to sit back and say, OK, I need to get through this to to kind of get to where I want to be? Well, actually, you know, I, I think when I look at my career, one of the biggest things I, I think the probably most important thing or the biggest accomplishment for me was in 1985. Just before the All-Star break, I dove back in the first base and started some impingement in my shoulder, eventually tearing my rotator cuff. And so I played from 1985 to 1996 with a torn rotator cuff. 
And that to me has been my greatest accomplishment because it meant that I couldn't go out there and raise my hand above my my head, you know, so everything had to be done down here. And it just goes to show how amazing the body is because you make those adjustments and one of the other instincts take over, you know, quickness and being able to release the ball. And that to date has been my greatest accomplishment. And, you know, it wasn't easy. And in many cases, I knew that on any given day, I only had one long throw in me, you know, so you had to preserve yourself and keep yourself in a position to be able to make a play. Hopefully it's one that didn't cost you a ball game, you know? So being able to work around that, I think has been my greatest accomplishment to date. Now, what made you decide not to get surgery or have an operation on it? Well, I had a trainer in college by the name of Steve Unita, and I saw how he worked with guys who had torn rotator cuffs by using the surgical tubing to strengthen the area around it. So I knew all about that. There was a player in Boston, Rick Burleson, had had surgery and really wasn't able to come back from it. And I think there was a guy by the name of Craig Swan, who was a pitcher who also had rotator cuff surgery and wasn't able to come back from it. So at that point in time in my career, if I wanted to continue to play, I knew that I I had to kind of work around that. So here again, anytime that I was sitting around or doing anything, it was it was doing things that was going to strengthen that rotator cuff or the muscles around that rotator cuff to protect it as much as I possibly could. And I knew that if I was going to help my team win, I had to be on the field. You know, so sometimes winning is much more than getting a big hit or making a great play. It's about helping your team psychologically. My being there at 75 to 80 percent psychologically for a pitcher may be better than somebody else at 100 percent. So understanding that, I realized that, hey, I had to find a way to make it happen. And from 85 to 96, I did. You've been involved with multiple different roles after playing in your career, broadcasting, business, philanthropy, various roles with the Cardinals. And I'm at a similar point in my career after just retiring last year. So for me, I would want to know, what has that been like for you after you retired, especially 1996, transitioning off the field during that time? And even now, 25 years later, what's most important to you? I think that it was always important for players of our generation to understand that the most important thing in life is the ability to give back. So if you're doing those things while you're playing, it makes the transition a lot easier. You know, like when you when you build a house, you build in the house, not necessarily to live there forever, but to sell it. So the same thing with with building a career, you know, you you hopefully are setting things up along the way that allow that transition to be a smooth transition from from the sport. You're able to take the platform with which you were able to build a name or notoriety, and then you just, you move that into real life and being able to help other people become better people and hopefully better citizens. Oh, you know what it is. It's time for the X Factors, the rapid fire questions. You got to answer as fast as possible off the top of your dome. Okay. All right. Who is your favorite MLB player that you like to watch today in our game? Well, you know, because we just got Nolan Arenado, super, super defensive player. Mm, solid. That's a solid one. And, and a St. Louis boy, too. Minnesota in town. Bunt dropped down. Arenado bare hands. Got him! Nolan Arenado with another ridiculous play. 
What is your favorite movie of all time? Field of Dreams from a baseball standpoint, you know, being able to play catch with your dad. I think that's every young kid's fantasy to be able to play catch with your father. Definitely. That's a solid one. If you could have one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hamburger Helper. Oh, yes. I, <laughs> I know about the Hamburger Helper. I had a lot of that growing up. That's good. Who in MLB right now would you want to turn a double play with? Right now? It's kind of hard, you know, because there's so many young, good young players around. You know, there's probably going to be the question was asked of me the other day. And you know who asked it was George Carl, Coach Carl, who's an avid baseball fan. He asked me, he said, who's the best shortstop playing today? And there's so many good ones around. But I think one that doesn't get a whole lot of he's not very flashy, but he gets the job done. And he's the reason that his organization has become as consistent as they has, and that's Brandon Crawford in San Francisco. Into the hole, Crawford to second. Out! Double play! Wow! He's probably having one of his best offensive years. He's worked hard at becoming a better offensive player, but I think that it was when he came that he gave the San Francisco Giants that stability up the middle, that consistency that they needed that has allowed that organization to continue to grow and get better. Yes, definitely. Well, Ozzie Smith, I appreciate you jumping on the Bigs podcast. Blessings to you and the family. It's been fun, you know, watching you do your thing, coming up in the Cardinals organization, getting to talk with you and just learn and pick your brain and appreciate all you've done for me and, and our family. And man, just wishing the best for you and thank you for everything. All right, X, thank you. And please say hi to your folks for me. I will. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you. That was Ozzie Smith, the Hall of Fame shortstop. That's a wrap for this season, but stay tuned for what's next. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and leave us a review. It helps new listeners find the show. You can discover more MLB shows at MLB.com slash podcast. Follow at MLB on all your favorite social media platforms, especially YouTube and TikTok. And follow me, I'm at Xavier underscore Scruggs on all the platforms. Our audio team is from Neon Hum Media and includes producers Haley Fager and Rob Dozer, associate producer Evan Jacoby, production manager Sammy Allison, and executive producers Jonathan Hirsch and Shara Morris. Editorial support from Nick White and Vikram Patel. Mixing and engineering by Scott Somerville. On the MLB team, production support from Extraordinary Athletes. Ian Kay is MLB's executive producer for podcasts. Special thanks to Barbara McHugh, Greg Klayman, Alicia Mullen, and Lance Gitlin. Music by Asha Ivanovich. Thanks for listening. Listening.